0: I've followed Kate's work on Instagram for a while, and it was so nice to talk with her. Kate Hessen is an emerging multimedia artist who lives and works in Port Hope, Ontario, Canada. Kate's work moves fluidly from sculpture to works on paper. She is interested in exploring the ways in which society's deeply held expectations for mothers manifest themselves into the lives of modern parents. Kate playfully uses a folkloric whimsy and humor to create an inviting space for unpacking the darker aspects of motherhood, such as postpartum depression, breastfeeding struggles, shame, exhaustion, and guilt. Kate is also a middle school art teacher. We talk about teaching this age level and choosing which personal artwork to share with them, Just a word of warning, we do talk about nipples and the female body as it relates to Kate's work. We also dig into motherhood with its connection both conceptually and practically to Kate's artwork. I could talk about these things all day. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So hi, Kate. Welcome. Thank you so much. I wanted to just start off asking about your teaching and your artwork and which came first or did one come first? Have you have you always been an artist? Did you always feel like you wanted to teach? Yeah, that's
1: a good question, which came first. So, yes, I definitely identified as an artist as a child. I made art all the time. I just drew and drew and drew and just really quick drawings and was always supplied with art supplies and lots and lots of paper. And uh, that's awesome. I wanted to be an artist from a young age. I just, I would say that um, when people ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would just say, I want to be an artist. And then I I took art classes and always was like the artsy kid in school. And I took art as my elective all through high school and just kept that identity of being like the artsy kid and kind of knew I was going to go to art school. It was just... It was just the path. Like I didn't really question it very much. And my family was very supportive and everyone's sort of artsy in their own way in my family. So no one like batted an eyelash that I wanted to go to an art school or that I wanted to be an artist. I think my parents actually, um, my dad would try to like introduce me to working artists that he knew and kind of like show me that that was a realistic path that that you could be an artist. Yeah. And uh, that's amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I kind of tried to like expand my mind to show that that was a possibility. Yeah. And what did, what did he do that he knew working artists? (laughs) There's a lot of excitement going on outside of this this office. I feel like this, that's the perfect
1: teaching. There's something rolling by. Kate is at her school, right? Yes. I'm at my school. (laughs) I just finished teaching. So I feel like Teachers, especially art teachers listening, are used to a certain amount of
0: chaos. A little bit of chaos in the background. There's like
1: a coat rack getting wheeled by. Um, (laughs) So what did my dad do? So my dad um, started a nonprofit where he works with who he describes as the hurting, hungry, and homeless in our community. And he is kind of like a liaison between people who are like struggling with a variety of different issues and some of the government services that are available. And kind of, yeah, like some of those more official resources. And they also run a art group and art is like a really core element of what they do. It's called Greenwood Coalition. But my dad went to school for video and so he like had a lot of art as part of that so that was his college experience and so he knew artists and I remember he introduced me to someone that was like he made these huge like large-scale murals like on the side of buildings and yeah he would take me to art galleries take me to the art gallery of Ontario and uh just like um, expose me to art at, at any turn really yeah
0: yeah that's amazing. Yeah. That makes such a difference yeah. too. Um,
1: he's a writer as well. He's a published poet and uh, just, yeah, very creative. Like yeah. it just is infused in everything that my family does at all times. There's creativity flowing. Right. And my mom is just a maker. She always was doing variety of different crafting activities, but like quilting and she's like an amazing cook and she rug hooks, like she rug hooked her whole, Ooh, yeah. um, what is it called? Like the back of your bed, your headboard. So she has this like floral headboard that she made from rug cooking. And wow. She just is always creating and knitting and crocheting. And yeah. So not really artists, but like very creative. Lots of friends with artists and yeah, just creative in everything they do. Yeah. So that sort of leads me towards going to college and. I wanted to go to a four-year university. I'm in Ontario, Canada. And uh, in the province where I live, there was really only two schools that had illustration. So I sort of skipped this part. But at some point, I decided that being an illustrator would be a good job to have. And that being an artist was like unrealistic and that I should be an illustrator. I met an illustrator and she had like a great life and I really liked her work. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like that seems like a good, a good job for me. Right. So there was only two places I could really study illustration. And it was Ontario College of Art and Design, which is actually a four-year accredited university or a college that had illustration. So I decided to go the four-year university route. And uh, that actually kind of was because... To be a teacher in Ontario, you need that four-year university degree. You can't have a college degree to become a teacher. So, there was sort of always in the background that like teaching could be a good job. Like it's just something that I was interested in, but maybe not pursuing all the way. Yeah, yeah. And then through university, I was studying illustration, and I liked the illustration program quite a bit. Um, I also took like ceramics and I took printmaking classes um, that which were in the the art side, like the the painting and drawing or the material art and design side. Yeah. But I kind of wanted to dabble around. And I realized that people who were illustrators were just hustling and selling themselves nonstop and kind of, I don't know, I didn't really like that you had to make art that other people were telling you to make. I kind of realized I was a bit too rebellious for that. Yeah. And started to figure out, okay, so how do I figure out something that feels good to me where I can make money, but also... Be able to make my art. And so that is when I decided to think about teaching art. So I kind of started taking classes at OCAD that would set me up so that I could go to teacher's college afterwards or that would help me in a teaching career. Yeah. Then I just finished my four-year degree and um, pretty much knew I didn't want to be an illustrator. I actually remember um, this story this uh, one professor we had who was teaching us like the business of illustration. I remember I asked her how a freelance illustrator would take a maternity leave because I was like oh. very interested in one day having kids. And she, in my memory, laughed at me and said that you can't have kids. You can't take a maternity leave. I hate that. (laughs) You can't take a year off where you're not selling yourself and hustling. And she was very old school. Like she was saying, like, you need to be sending out mailers. And this is only like, I graduated in 2012. So this is not that long ago. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, you can't take a year off from mailing out pictures of your work and da-da-da. And I was like, oh, like... This is not yeah. for me. <laughs> this is not a job that I want to be doing. So that's what I kind of mean by like always selling yourself. Like you have to be like constantly connected. And you can kind of like get outdated in illustration, right? And then you have to be like changing up your style so it doesn't get like outdated and yeah. I don't know. I just didn't align with what I wanted to be doing. Yeah. But my illustration classes were like just painting and drawing like from life or just concept classes, which were really interesting. And a lot of my peers in my illustration cohort, actually went on to be fine artists, I'm saying fine in quotes, but to be artists who work with galleries, or who are doing mural work or doing installations and are not Illustrators right. really by the traditional sense at all. So it's kind of interesting that that the program kind of sets you up maybe to be an illustrator, but so many people take another path. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So yeah, I graduated and did not want to be an illustrator, and that was fine. But I started teaching art just at like a private a children's art class on the weekends, and I would teach classes to kids who were like age like three to six, and had a lot of fun doing. That, but I knew that I wanted to be applying to Teachers College so that I could, you know, be a real art teacher in a real school. Right. And so I took a year off and was teaching art and working as a nanny. And then not really making much of my own work. That's sort of like its own story, though. I feel like that's such a, a like typical story of graduating from art school and then like not wanting to make art for a while.
0: Yeah, like you kind of need that little break, that headspace to come back to it. Yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah, because you have all these other voices in your head, like all of your teachers' voices still like yeah. ringing around in your head and. You don't know what to make.
0: And yeah. it's all very confusing. And then you have to find your own voice, too, within all of that. Yes, exactly. And then carried on to
1: Teachers College and studied art teaching. So I had to actually study like how to teach all of the subjects. And then there was just a focus on art that was a one year program here i really don't understand like how people become teachers in the states so i'm just talking about my experience and i'm not sure if it's different or the same
0: yeah well it varies quite a bit state to state oh okay it depends on the the state what you need to be a certified teacher and i'm actually a teaching artist so i work for a nonprofit that sends artists into schools cool so kind of a different route into teaching yes but then if you want certification in some states you have to have a master's degree in art education. Some states you don't need that master's degree, but you do have to pass all the like licensing tests and everything. Hmm. Yeah. So it varies a lot. And then you also have to have like, there's a different license for each state. So you can sometimes transfer it, but there's also something called national boards where you can get like certified nationally. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's quite complicated.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think that's similar to like provinces, like provinces and states are fairly similar. Right. um, qualified to teach in Ontario, but I would, yeah, I would have to transfer to teach in a different province. And right. Yeah. I think I basically have two bachelor's degrees. So the first degree was a bachelor's degree. And then the, I have a bachelor of education. Uh, okay. Um, I feel like in the States, it's more aligned with, they do like a master's of education, but
0: yeah. maybe this is
1: <laughs> going down a rabbit hole.
0: This is, it is <laughs> yeah, interesting. The different it is. And I mean, for me, it's been interesting because I've also debated like, do I go back and get another degree? in education to be like a certified teacher or just stick with what I'm doing or, you know, what are all the other options out there, you know, private lessons and workshops and all these other things that you could be doing. Right. like, do you dedicate yourself to a degree that's like, oh, and now I
1: have the paperwork to say I can do this or do you dedicate that energy somewhere else? Right.
0: And then trying to juggle teaching with art making and, Mm -hmm. you know, where, yeah, like what's the priority? So for you, do you feel like teaching has like changed your making or informed your art making? Yeah, I definitely think that teaching has informed my art making. I in my personal
1: work, I really like to try and channel like intuition and like thinking about that childlike approach. And since I was like such a like prolific, that's probably the wrong word, but like voracious drawer as a kid and I'm mm-hmm. just like made all the time. I really like to like channel that energy. So it's something that when I'm working with kids, I can see throughout the day and it's sort of like, oh yeah, like that, that is what it looks like to get in that state of flow or to make those like impulsive or intuitive decisions about color, just shape or line. And especially teaching the, the kids that are in grade five and six, and they're a little bit younger and less like inhibited and less concerned about the final product. Just watching that on a day to day basis, I find really informs my work. I find myself thinking like, oh yeah, that, that color choice that, you know, one student made or Um, just kind of like spark something for me. Just seeing their process and they're just in that childlike wonderful state. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just like being exposed to art at my quote unquote day job or part-time job is really influential in what I'm making in my home studio because I'm just surrounded by art all the time and thinking about art and looking at art history and it's just like I'm just surrounded and it's just like my whole world and so then when I go into the studio it doesn't feel as much like switching over brains like okay like that that job is over now now it's time to do something else like it's all flowing into each other and back and forth.
0: Right. Yeah, and do you do you feel like sort of the flip side of that does your art making inform your teaching? And I was really curious like how or whether you share any of your your work at all with students or parents or like anybody involved in your teaching life? Yeah, I do.
1: I do. Do you, I try to be really like aware of how mm-hmm. my own way of making art and like my like aesthetic preferences affect my class? Like I try to, I almost give us like an artistic bias. Like okay, that's the bias that I'm bringing to the classroom. And um, sometimes I'll notice like the prompts that I give a class for like a sketchbook assignment that I think of is like oh it's kind of like innocuous. So this could go anywhere. But then the students will make work that. They aren't looking at my artwork, but they'll make work that's like a plant that has eyeballs for the leaves, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that looks like something I would draw. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like there's something merging over. I I will show them like examples of. Work and like I usually make demonstrations and examples at school, and um, they'll be their own thing. But because I make paper mache in my home studio, and like I actually am quite dedicated to a paper mache practice, I know a lot of tricks of the trade and like how to make paper mache look really solid and really finished. And so, I will bring them in finished work that is appropriate for school. Like, I have a big giant eyeball that I made that's in my classroom, and I can show it to them. And you know, they're kind of like, Oh, this looks like it's carved from wood, but it's paper mache and kind of shows like what's possible with paper mache or paper crete sculptures. Yeah. So that's a way that I bring
0: it in a little bit. I love your paper mache stuff, just looking oh, at it. I mean, I want to see it in person, but looking at it online, it's it looks so like whimsical and fun. Thank you. And I can just see the kids totally responding to that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think uh I think they do kind of respond to like the a little bit weirdness and whimsicalness. And yeah. I don't obviously in the past I have worked in realism and especially like getting my portfolio together to get into art school. I was like, oh, I need to be able to show that I can draw realistically. Right. And I I find actually that a lot of art teachers have like a slant towards realism. And I would say like my slant is like away from realism. Yeah. Especially working with like the younger kids. So they're like age 10 to 14. They most of the time don't really have like the patience or like the interest in like extremely realistic rendering. Like right. I think observing from life is one thing, but like, you know, a full either like pencil drawing, or sh- like value study or like even in ink um, value study, if, if someone has like the patience or they're showing like an interest in wanting to do that, I'm like, okay, a hundred percent, like I will support you in teaching you how to do this or how to be successful at it. But like when it's just such a range of students and they're all just kind of coming with like different interests and different like levels and different entry points, then I kind of like veer away from realism. Like I try to make sure they realize like your art doesn't have to look like, the thing in order for it to be good. So that's more like, that's my slant coming in for sure. yeah. And I do like, I talk, I talk a lot, I think about, yeah, like my experiences and sometimes I'll talk about my illustration experiences or sometimes like people I know who have worked on like certain books or, you know, and try and like show kind of like what my dad did that the arts is like a viable career. And there's so many different ways to be successful, like in creative careers. And even though my kids are little, like I, I think some of the older grade eights, they're kind of thinking about what classes they'll take in high school, which will determine which universities they'll be able to go to. And so I try to show them that like being a creative person is like a viable long-term career. And this is like all the different ways that, you know,
0: It can look yeah, and that's that sort of thing is actually in our standards here, having them see interesting see the different career options. Yeah, I think
1: I've seen things online. I don't believe it's in our curriculum like that explicitly, but I've seen things online like where can art take you? And like I I love those diagrams.
0: Yeah, diving even deeper into teaching, (laughs) like you've talked, I guess a little bit about your style, and I love this idea of artistic bias that you you're aware of that and that you. The <laughs> see your own sort of bias in there. What's what would you say is your style? Like you I know you're planning out projects. Are you leaning towards choice? Are you like more sort of structured based on like materials and media? Or yeah, what's your what's your sort of style and take on teaching? So I am hundred percent based on choice. I mean maybe a hundred percent is too high, but I <laughs>
1: super, super believe in choice whenever possible. And I find that kids just have like so much ownership over their work in my class when they have choice over it, when they have like their own vision that they're trying to accomplish or to create. And so that is a huge part of it. I work within a medium. So usually what I do to structure my classes, I have an artist of the month for every different month. And we use that artist as like a jumping off point. So like looking at their work, looking at their story, just kind of like little bits of art history, you know, when were they born? When did they die? Just those little pieces that kids especially like hold onto and little stories about their lives. And then I use that as like a jumping off point for projects. So it'll inspire a project. So we just finished these big food paper mache sculptures looking at Klaus Oldenburg as our artist of the month. And they had to make a food sculpture, but it could be any food that they wanted. It could be any size that they wanted. And that was like the choice that they were given. So, you know, there's parameters and then there's a medium, but they're able to do whatever they want with it. And I just found like because they have that choice, they are just so excited and passionate. And when they come in, they know exactly what to do. And they just get right down to work, you know, because it's not me telling them what they have to be doing. It's they have this project and they have the goal that they want to meet and they work towards it.
0: Yeah, I've I've totally found that as well, that it's it's just they're so much more engaged and excited when they have more choices. A hundred percent.
1: I also think that like building relationships is like really, really big part of my teaching style because I use humor and kind of like a silliness with kids, but I also am like trying to push them further and push their ideas. And so once I have that like relationship established that like, you know, they understand that, that I am trying to push them outside their comfort zone, but only in like a loving way and to help their work get better and to help them learn, right. then like I, we can sort of have that that dynamic once they kind of understand where I'm coming from. Um, so I feel like building relationships is huge. Yeah. And yeah, I just kind of start classes with like a mini lesson. I have this massive table. I feel like it's like oak. Like it's not a table that you would see in an art room. It's like, yeah. We'd see it in like a huge like university library or something. And <laughs> all of my students fit around this huge table. So we start there with like a mini lesson and just sort of like, okay, this is the goal for today. So right now we're doing linoleum carving and printmaking. And so the goal is to at least start printing today, you know, like finish your carving. And that is sort of like the goal, or I'll do like a mini demonstration of whatever the skill is. And that's usually I aim for like less than 10 minutes of just kind of going over things. Or if I, if it's like, you know, you need to start writing an artist statement or do some sort of like self-assessment, then I'll introduce that at the beginning. Um, maybe put like a list on the board of like, okay, here's the things you need to accomplish today, if it's more than one and, and then the rest, I try to just let them work. And I try and say like, I want to give you as much time as possible to work today. So I, I try not to chat very much and, and then just work with students one-on-one for the rest of the class. And I have hour long classes. So try to keep it less than 10 minutes at the introduction and then time to work and then time to clean up. And that's basically how I structure my period. Yeah. That's it. And that's <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's anything too special but um
0: right it works. It works for me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, would you have any tips for somebody who's kind of just starting as an art teacher, a new art teacher? Well, I feel like I am a new art teacher.
1: <laughs> so that is, um, that is always part of it. But even in the past couple of years, I feel like I figured out a few things. So yeah. choice is for sure coming up for me again, make sure students have choice, like at least one part of the project should have choice and you'll just get, it'll just have better classes. It'll just be a more positive space because the kids have that ownership. Right. The other tip that I figured out is like thinking of the students and like walking in their shoes when you're designing your classroom. So like I have my whole classroom set up and I think of it from a design point of view. So like when they walk in the door... First thing they have to do is get an apron. So they know that and the aprons are hung by the door and then they need to come in and have a seat at the big table. And then they each have their own, each grade has their own, or each class I should say, has their own drawer and three drawer or cupboard. So that is where their sketchbooks go. And that is where their sketchbooks live. And then going to the drying rack, there's like a walkway set up to go to the drying rack and to go past the sink. And everything is just set up so that like they know the flow of traffic. And I just put myself in their shoes and imagine like, what do they need? And what do I need to do as a teacher to make sure they know how to use the space? Things are labeled and they know how to access their own classroom and like get the supplies that they need. So just like designing the space with the student in mind. And I feel like it saves me so much time when the students know exactly what to do because it, I don't have to repeat myself. Yeah, <laughs> They are on task and they know exactly how to handle themselves in the room and get the materials that they need. So yeah, I think actually like yeah. my plan reflecting for next year is that with the new students coming in, I really want to put a focus on like, getting them to learn the classroom right away and not just assume that they'll, they'll figure it out, but get the new students to, to learn the classroom in some like targeted, like teaching way. Like, I don't know what yeah. scavenger hunt or something like that.
0: Right. Yeah, I love that idea. And that that sort of thing feels like it takes a lot of time up front, like you've got to set it all up and maybe adjust things and, you know, do that, like walk through as if you're a student, but it will totally save you so much time. Yes, and that the like frustrations
1: of hearing the same question over and over again. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. The more that they are in control of their space, I actually would love to have like the older students do a design project because my degree is in design, like illustrations in the design realm. So we did a lot of design in school and something i'm really interested in incorporating design thinking into um into the art room i'd love to have the grade eights like think about a design challenge like how could we set up the paints more efficiently or like i have a class set of ipads in my room like how could we make sure the ipads are stored in a way that's like functional for everyone because right now it's like really hard for them to be put away. And then like the kids don't put them away because it's not designed properly. So I think it'd be interesting to get the kids to like work on that
0: as a project. That sounds great. And would also be another (laughs) buy-in moment where then they're like, well, I designed how this works, so I'm totally going to use it.
1: Put my iPad away. That would be ideal.
0: Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You also mentioned tricks and tips with paper mache. And I'd love to hear maybe one or two if you want to share.
1: Well, so I like to make my own paper crete, which is kind of um, an interesting process or like paper clay. And so I use shredded paper that I just like collect from the school. So the secretary down in the office gave me like a huge bag of shredded paper. And then at our senior school, I got another bag of shredded paper. And that is pretty cool because it kind of fills in a lot of the mistakes that can happen with paper mache. So like a lot of the mistakes you see are like bubbling or like holes that are created. And when you make paper clay, which is, you know, paper pulp that has been broken down. So I literally put the shredded paper in water for like the weekend, like two or three days. And then I strain out all the water and I just have like this paper pulp, sort of like if you're making paper and I add lots and lots of glue to it and then yeah. just like mix it up with my hands or I get the kids to help mix it up the kids who are okay with sensory things on their hands right. um, some kids love it some kids hate it but then you just have this paper and glue mixture and you can put it into the holes or you can use it to make more fine details so some of my students were like making cherries or like making yeah like little leaves to go on the top okay. of their strawberries and kind of like these little nitty-gritty Things and you can just sculpt with it like clay basically. Right. Yeah. And it kind of helps the the finish quite a bit. So that is a good tip for paper mache. Yeah. And then I don't use drywall paste with the students just because like their hands are so sensitive and it's really drying. But in my personal work, I do use drywall paste. I use drywall paste in my paper clay and I also will add drywall paste to my paper mache mixture like white glue water and drywall paste and it basically makes it just very 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 hard
0: mm, yeah and it
1: has like kind of a white dry matte feel to it which is really good for painting like it feels like a drywall wall yeah so that uh that really helps make a nice, solid paper mache. Awesome. And then glazing, always glazing at the end. Like it just looks so finished once it's really shiny and... Yeah, it almost has like that ceramic look, which yeah, I was doing ceramics in university and like got hooked on that like really like goopy glaze. And I actually had my art shared one day. I forget which page it was on, but they they called my paper mache work ceramics. Like we love oh. Kate Kate Hassan's ceramics here, and I was like, huh. Oh. <laughs> you're so like actually, that's paper, <laughs> uh, paper mache."
0: <laughs> yeah, wow, I love that. I also, I love the, uh, just the image of you, you know, going to the secretary and going around the school being like, can I have all your shredded paper, <laughs> which oh my goodness. is just, that's what we do as an art teacher. We're like collecting all the recyclables and all the other people's trash
1: (laughs) I know know. I've like come to expect it from me now and like I'm always wearing my apron because like things come up all the time and like I need my apron on so I wear my apron like down for a coffee break and I wear my apron like over because we're on the same campus as our senior school so like I'll walk over there in my apron and yeah it's like you just have to lean into the the art teacher yeah um i don't know (laughs) that role (laughs) the misconceptions are they like just the garbage picker yeah I'm, i'm just used to it
0: So going towards your art making, I know you talked about how your papier-mâché, you know, was mistaken for ceramics and it's just so beautiful. You also do a lot of paintings and I feel like just looking at those, I can see that you were a prolific drawer, (laughs) that those, like I could see those drawings in there.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because I always drew girls and women as a kid, like, all the time.
0: Yeah. I can remember drawing like
1: words sometimes and kind of like doing like, like a rainbow pattern around like, you know, love and peace and like these like little posters. But I drew women. I drew myself and my best friends and I drew my mom and my family and my grandmother. Yeah. I've just always drawn women. I honestly almost can't believe I'm still doing it.
0: (laughs) Well, now you have your own little mini woman, <laughs> right? Yes, <there> <laughs> Exactly. And the cycle
1: continues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want me to talk about my work a little bit more? Or?
0: Yeah, maybe if you could, I mean, I get to look at it online here. But if you could maybe describe your work for someone who hasn't sure. seen it. Yeah.
1: Okay. So like you touched upon, I do work in like a range of different mediums. So Lots of ink, ink paintings, watercolor, and then paper mache, and then sometimes acrylic on canvas, something I've done kind of like on and off. And I've actually painted three canvases in the past couple of weeks, which is funny. Like that, that is not online anywhere at this moment. So I just experiment all the time. And like, I love having multiple projects on the go. I, like I said, don't really like working on things for a very sustained amount of time. I like to work on multiple things and move around and hop around, Mm -hmm. which is perfect for paper mache because you can't really work on it for that long. You just kind of can like throw a layer on and then you have to do something else. So, right. Like let it dry. Yeah, exactly. You can't paint it while it's still wet. So, you know, it kind of slows down the process and, but I have to have multiple things to do at the same time. The artwork tends to portray women, like I said, drawing Mm -hmm. girls and women for most of my life. And um, in university, I sort of started drawing this woman that I continue to draw. So I kind of think of her as like this universal woman. And even when I was 20 and did not have children of my own, I always worked as a nanny and I was really interested in like doulas and midwifery and just like birth rituals from around the world. And so I started drawing women that were pregnant or women that were nursing my thesis at university was actually about birth rituals so like I had all of this type of imagery coming up when I was
0: much younger yeah that's interesting
1: yeah yeah so I think of it as kind of like an idealistic kind of um representation when Uh I was younger that there was just like this universal mother and she was you know pregnant and in, in nature. Yeah. And what I have moved more towards after having my own baby and experiencing pregnancy and experiencing a quite rough pregnancy. Like I uh-huh. had a lot of struggles, not health related, but just like, just I, I even a healthy pregnancy is very hard is what I learned. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, like pelvic pain and soreness and just feeling massive all the time and <laughs> yeah. feeling so tired and just yeah, lacking energy. And I just didn't really feel like myself. So yeah. And were you were you still teaching full time while you were pregnant? I was I was teaching part time mm-hmm. while I was pregnant. So I did a lot of teaching sitting down is what I yeah <laughs> refer to that phrase as that. Uh, yeah, getting up and walking around was not happening. So there was a lot mm-hmm. of like trying to tell
0: kids what to do from a chair,
1: right? <laughs> which is not easy. They don't listen to you as well when you're sitting down.
0: Right. And when they know you really don't want to be moving around. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Let's see what we can get away with in the corner. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was so forgetful, like forgetting to do attendance when I was pregnant. And yeah, teaching while pregnant.
0: Yeah, it's tough.
1: (laughs) It's tough. And then being so tired, which... Luckily, I didn't have any other children to take care of. So once I was done work, I could just go home and like have a nap and then make dinner and then go back to sleep. Not a lot of art making was happening while I was pregnant, but there was a lot of sketching and like, I ideas forming, I was really sensitive to um, wanting to not use anything that could harm the baby. So I had actually been working in oil when, like before I got pregnant. And like, I think a lot of artists being like, not the most careful with ventilation and that kind of thing. So I realized once I got pregnant, I was like, okay, no more having like the oil paints inside and, you know, not having proper ventilation, like this isn't healthy. So I put away the oils um, and I have not got them out because my studio is in my house. And even though my daughter's not there when I'm making artwork most of the time, I still like want it to be a safe environment. Yeah. So yeah, not a lot of art making happened while I was pregnant, but a lot of the ideas that were coming up about like the realities of pregnancy and like the realities of Birth and the postpartum experience, and kind of like moving away from that idealized woman, but moving towards something that kind of balances. So I say, like, the light and the dark of motherhood so that it's yeah I like to play around with a little bit of like whimsicalness but kind of always commenting on something more serious yeah I paint these women that have pretty much exclusively flowers for nipples or like flowers for breasts and like Uh it's it's about how women are like so sensitive to like how their bodies change when they're pregnant and like we watch our bodies change in front of us. And especially like your nipples change so much. And I think women in general are like, so I don't know, like angsty about this. And there's all these societal norms about nipples. And so I just kind of try to relate it to a flower because yes, maybe, you know, your nipple is bigger, or maybe like, (laughs) Your boobs are saggier now, but like, if you relate that to like the image of what it looks like in nature, it's like, oh, well that looks like a beautiful tulip and tulips are wonderful. And like, maybe my body doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect, but can look like this, this wonderful piece of nature. So that's, it's sometimes it's like, it looks whimsical, but I have this, this idea that connecting with nature could be powerful.
0: Yeah. And even this idea of like blooming and changing in a yeah. positive way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah.
1: So trying to talk about motherhood and yeah. thinking about like how to, how can I show it in like the simplest way possible? Uh-huh. So like the ink drawing try to just use the most minimal line I can and lots of white space. But yeah, I think it sums up a little yeah. bit about my work. The paper mache is more bright colored and um, graphic and bold. But once again, like combining things together with nature and yeah. the body, drawing from folk art. And and then I actually just finished a sculpture that says Cry It Out, which was uh-huh. on my Instagram. And um, so that's something I've been thinking about lately is the kind of pieces of advice and words that we're told as new mothers. And then I want to like subvert them and like just make people think about these ideas in a different way. Like the cry it out is like such a big, I don't know, there's like, there's so much energy around it with like, you know, Facebook groups and mothers telling each other what to do. And, you know, without commenting on like my own beliefs about cry it out, I want people just kind of think about, like, what does that mean? Cry it out. And then even like my friends that don't have kids, like one of my friends was like, I need this and I want to put it over my marital bed. I was like, <laughs> you're hilarious. But, you know, cry it out if you don't have kids can mean something totally different. So, right. and then the crying is a part of motherhood as well, as much as it is a part of having a baby. So, yeah, that's sort of what I've been thinking about too, is like how I can take these like snippets and words and pull them into my artwork in some way maybe not literally with creating a sculpture of words but maybe i'm not sure where that's gonna go
0: yeah and just thinking about how words matter and the way that you're using words especially with kids like they'll they remember those Mm -hmm. little phrases whether it's teaching or parenting or both yeah those phrases that we repeat Yeah. And then this idea of all the advice that's kind of thrown your way, good or bad or, you know, well-intentioned or not. and it just repeats it over and over. I just remember yeah. like when my daughter was young and like just
1: all these little ideas. Breast is best is the other one that I've been thinking about Oh, yeah, quite a bit. And it's interesting because I, I portray breastfeeding so much in my work because it was like such a big part or is a big part of my experience of motherhood. But I also don't want to exclude people who chose not to breastfeed or couldn't breastfeed or, you know, but by making this art, I almost feel like I am trying, I am starting to exclude Um, people from that. so
0: Well, it's a tricky thing because I, you know, you hear the, there's another phrase that I hear within the art world that the personal is universal. Right. So getting, you know, getting really personal with your experience maybe isn't necessarily excluding people who've had different experiences. Yeah. 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 But it is a tricky, a tricky thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think they can connect in it in some way, but yeah, I think the more personal you can, dive deep into yeah the more room for connection there is. I've found I've been drawing like nude women for a long time, but it is interesting being an art teacher and like working with kids. And I like I do share some of my artwork, but obviously there's some artwork that I don't share, but it's in the public (laughs) domain and like, you know, it's it's an interesting thing that like they they might have an experience with seeing some of my artwork and I don't know, hasn't come up yet, but it'll be interesting when it does. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's another thing. I'm always curious. I, I feel like most of my work is fairly innocuous in terms of that because I don't include very many people, but it is interesting to hear like what students would say if they did kind of come across it. Yeah, it
1: is interesting that as as an art teacher, like I think a lot of us kind of like draw that line if you yeah. if you are a teaching artist. I don't know, it'd be interesting to see. What other teaching artists say about that? Like yeah. do they draw that line or do they do they not? Yeah. One of the other art teachers in my school, she actually makes art with the kids all the time. Like oh. she has like I don't even know how big it is, probably like a six foot by six foot canvas in her room that she's painting right now. And like, you know, we get a lot of downtime and prep periods and da-da-da. Yeah. So she'll like do a few layers of paint on this canvas. But yeah, like that, that is her work. Yeah. And I obviously are making art around the kids as well. But like, I'm definitely not drawing a lot of flower nipples around the kids. So
0: <laughs> that's the line. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a line there. <laughs> uh. Yeah. And you're, I mean, you're at the age group you're teaching is kind of at that age where Mm -hmm. their bodies are changing. So they're even more sensitive around those things. So it's, you know, like another consideration. It's not a lot of like maturity around the human form. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So with your art, do you, have you been trying to show it or are you selling it? Where do you find opportunities or are you even... You know, do you want to be pursuing that sort of thing?
1: So mostly my plan I do sell art by posting it on Instagram and selling it via Instagram. Like literally just having conversations with people who DM me and just say, Okay, I want to buy this, and then I say how much it is, and then you know, we just go from there. So that is really how I sell most of my artwork. Cool. And then how do I look for opportunities? So I mean, there's lots of call for artists in my area. So I try and like do a lot of call for artists like locally and I try to pick things that like align with what I'm doing because I don't really want to waste time like, you know, applying for something that doesn't make sense. But I do like have, um, you know, email lists for call for artists and that's like a big way that I look for opportunities, but definitely with like a local slant. And then mostly I want to be an art teacher so that I'm able to make the art that I want to make. Uh-huh. And then I've able been able to have like a lot of meaningful connections on the internet, which has been great. Although I don't really want to go down the path of like, I only make art for Instagram. Right. <laughs> so yes, definitely showing more would be the next step, I think, and um, building up that that side of what I do. Yeah. Especially because I studied illustration, like there was not really a focus on even how to work with galleries or how that works. So I've mostly been like just learning from my friends that have done it and talking to them and trying to figure out how they've made that leap if they were in illustration and made the leap over. So yeah, that's sort of where I am at right now. I'm really interested in public art as well. I I actually curate art for a music festival that is in my town. Oh, cool. So I bring in local artists and not even local artists, but from... From Canada, I would say, yeah, to make art in at the festival. So like doing like public murals or doing like interactive art making. So yeah, that's something that I would like to move in the direction of, and especially like with my sculptures, trying to figure out some sort of public place that they could
0: live. Yeah, so vague, but. That's. uh, I feel like sculpture is always a tricky one in terms of space. It's like where, if I'm creating these things, where do they go? (laughs) Where do they live? I
1: know I have this like desire to make sculptures, but yeah, they take up a lot of space. And also, like when I first started making the paper mache sculptures, I called them art that no one wants (sighs) because. I fully admit that like, they're kind of weird and like, you know, they're, they're just strange. And, um, especially like the art scene that is in my area, I would say like, there's like, oh, it's mostly landscape painters. I'm trying to think of like people that I know who don't paint landscape. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So obviously like some of my, my friends from school, but I live in a small town that's outside of Toronto, and yeah, and so like my local community here is a lot of landscape painters, and like they are painting paintings that people want to just hang on their walls, or you know, right. I know um, a interior designer, and she likes having a certain type of painting, and with her interiors and a massive paper mache lip flower with <laughs> eyeballs for leaves like just doesn't really doesn't quite fit in go in a plain living room um so, yeah um, so I just sort of had to <laughs> bypass all of the inner critic type ideas that, you know, mm-hmm. art that no one wants. And so I just thought if I just own that, that I'm making these sculptures that I want to make and I just have had this pull. Actually, there's a sculpture that I'm doing right now and it's of it's like a bust of the woman that I've always drawn. Uh-huh. And I have had this in my mind. I actually made like a small ceramic sculpture that's just would fit in your hands of this. But I've had this in my mind for like 10 years and I want to make like this large, paper mache bust of this woman and I'm doing it now finally yes awesome yeah I'm making it and yeah there's um, no real plan about what I'm doing with it. But it's kind of neat, actually, that like I have built this community on Instagram that like I can have conversations around it. And yeah, it doesn't I don't know. It's it's been it's pretty cool. Yeah. Making connections with artists, mothers, artists, mothers, teachers, even like you, Rebecca.
0: Yeah. So yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. And I I mean, obviously, the Artist Mother podcast, we both love. Yes. And has been just, you know, that's been really inspiring for me to hear from other artists that are kind of figuring out how to keep making while mothering and like where those things overlap yeah so I was also thinking about that with teaching you know like where where do those overlap because for me they there's so much like back and forth between making and teaching yes
1: yeah, one of my coworkers was saying to me just this morning like she was like, "Oh, you know, what are you doing?" And I said, "Oh, I'm getting ready for this podcast interview." And then and then I said, "Yeah, I had to, you know, make dinner." in the crock pot before I came to work. So I could do that. And then Uh, my mother-in-law is coming over for dinner. Like, yeah. And we kind of made a joke about the artist, teacher, mother, (laughs) how all these things are just going on. And yeah, yeah. there's, I agree that the artist mother podcast has been like super validating that just, you know, women all over North America, I suppose, are making art in their basement or at their kitchen table or going to the studio and getting childcare, even if they don't know that they're is going to sell like it's, it's so hard to to pursue something and to get childcare when
0: you yeah you don't know about the budget for it yeah. you know you're like spending something on childcare yeah with no guarantee yeah yes exactly it's, yeah. yeah yeah it's another hurdle yeah or you know fitting it in squeezing things in after bedtime when you're you really should be sleeping <laughs> yes yeah. Using that nap time effectively. Yeah, yeah. And how how have you made things work in terms of time with you know juggling teaching and you have a one year old now, right?
1: Yes, I yeah. have one year old.
0: Yeah, right in the thick of it. Yes,
1: absolutely. So basically, my week is broken up by three teaching days. So I teach three days a week, and and then I have two studio days yeah. a week. And so my daughter is in daycare. She actually just goes to a home daycare that's about 30 seconds away from my school, which is also about 30 seconds away from my house. That's
0: amazing. Yeah.
1: So that part of life is really quite set up well. And yeah, it's affordable childcare, which really helps with what we were talking about that You know, what am I doing with my day? Is this going to produce enough money? Right. Because the childcare is affordable. It really helps with that. So she is, yeah, in, she's in childcare four days a week. And then we have help from um, my in-laws and my parents and my sisters that all Live in this community, so it's it's really great. There's like a lot of support there. That's amazing. And then I usually have I'll use like one afternoon on the weekend. I'm not big on painting after bedtime. I just don't. I mean, I will like for a deadline. I will finish something, but it's not like a creative time for me. Uh-huh. Like I'm most creative first thing in the morning. Yeah. So that is what I I try and use that time. So. Yeah, Dahlia will go to daycare at about eight. And then if it's a studio day for me, I just head back home and make coffee and get down to work. And like, I usually just create art for eight hours straight. And yeah, it's just All of the ideas that I kind of like on the days when I can't make art, I just like keep notes in my phone, or I'll do like a sketch on my phone, or I have a sketchbook like you know on the kitchen counter that I'll just throw ideas into. Yeah, and then those are my days when I actually can go forward with the idea, right? (laughs) Actually, make something of it, and yeah, that that is sort of how I've been able to balance. So yeah, I just treat my studio days as another work day, and. Work from like eight until four, and and then go and get my daughter, and then like the evening routine stays the same, having dinner together as a family, and doing bedtime and all of those things. Yeah, and then of course, when life gets in the way, like if she has a doctor's appointment or something like that, that's going to be on my studio day. Right. So. Things like that come up as the teacher, artist, parent part of it. Yeah, that those things come up. But yeah, I remember when she first started going to daycare. If I had to do anything other than make art, I just it would feel so resentful. Like oh, I can't believe I'm at the grocery store right now. Or like. <laughs> I I could be going to the grocery store after. I can't believe I have to do this right now. It's just like so set. And anyway, now that it's been, you know, eight months of having a bit more balance, I'm I'm able to kind of see that. But I do, I do. I don't know, kind of have to like respect those days. And I try not to take meetings like for the the festival that I work for. I try not to take meetings during those days because that it's just I find when I leave the house or if I have to do anything other than make art on those days, then it just kind of messes with the rhythm, messes with the flow. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that's how I've been able to. Make it work thus far, yeah, and then I also get a lot of days off at like we get a lot of holiday time, I guess you would call it. I don't really take holidays right, but I have a lot of days, you know, March break is a long break, and we're just about to head into a four day weekend right and the summer is a long break. So yeah. last summer was like very productive for me. And I was just starting daycare after she had turned one. We have a year of maternity leave as well. I should. Right.
0: Yeah. That
1: was like a big part of it too, that pretty much, I mean, I was making art while I was on maternity leave, um, but I was home with her and then she didn't start going to the home daycare until she was over one years old. So. That's a huge plus of living in Canada. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Having that year of maternity leave. Yeah. All of the U.S. moms I so feel for. I actually had my daughter when we lived in Prague in the Czech Republic. So...
1: Oh yes, I remember reading that in your uh, you like synopsis of where you've been for the
0: past like
1: ten years or whatever. So
0: all over the place. Yeah. So my you know situation was different, but I I have such sympathy empathy for moms that have basically no maternity leave. I just I don't know. Yeah, I know.
1: Like at even three months, I was not. A functioning person.
0: Yeah, I can't even fathom. Yeah. And we I mean, I had a massive struggle to breastfeed and eventually figured it out. But we definitely would not have figured it out if I didn't have any time. Yeah. Right. You would have. Yeah.
1: Because you, you used, I forget what the word is, but the tube, right?
0: That Yes. The supplemental nursing system is <laughs> like tubes. Yeah. Uh, which was a pain, but also, you know, saved us. Yeah. Yeah. But you can definitely see that if you had to go to work,
1: it would just be like, okay, I guess I'm not doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And when people pump and go to work, I'm like, oh my God, you are uh, incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's next level. Amazing. Well, I know you have to get back to your little one and dinner time. Yeah. So just a few more questions, really just a couple little like kind of more get to know you things. Sure. What are you curious about right now? Could be anything, not even art or teaching.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What am I curious
0: about?
1: Teaching wise, I feel
0: like I keep hearing this phrase
1: teaching for artistic behavior tab. And it is something I would like to research more because I I'm drawn to that. I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I want. I want them to be like showing artistic behaviors. And I try and think when when they are showing different skills, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what artists do, you know, artists research and artists sketch and plan. And so I'd like to research more. What is that? Yeah. Is there, there's like an acronym, right?
0: Tab. Yeah. Yeah. Tab. Yeah. You had it. Yes. And I'm, I mean, I'm new to this, but I'm trying to implement tab in my classroom now, but it's, I feel like my version is a little different because I have only 10 lessons with each group of kids. So it's super quick. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, ideally, you'd have a lot more time to kind of go through this process of learning what are behaviors that an artist does and how does our classroom work and our studio work yeah yeah but there are some really fantastic books there's a super helpful Facebook group and I can link maybe I'll link all of this stuff in the show notes Sure, that would be awesome yes that for me I would like those things
1: yeah and then yeah for that so that's like my teaching one and then for my own curiosities I've been like thinking a lot about the grandmother mother daughter relationship and I would like to Mm. do something about that and I'm also interested in the teenage daughter mother relationship, which obviously I am nowhere near, but I think there's a lot of interesting ideas that come up. Yeah. So still femininity and motherhood and some of those things. So I always like think of this idea that clings to my mind. I guess I would say that when women are born, they have the reproductive eggs in them already. So that were created in. Speaking personally, the eggs that created my daughter were actually formed inside of my mother when I was in the womb. Ah, wow! Yeah, this lineage and yeah, just that support of a mother and yeah. So it's so cyclical. It's I just I'm so interested in like yeah these cycles and this, I don't know, circle of women. These are just like, I feel like I'm just saying things that I would write in my (laughs) (laughs) sketchbook.
0: That's great though. It's good to hear some little thoughts, little like thought snippets. (laughs) exactly. Thought snippets that need to be dug into. So yeah. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Another one that's just kind of random. What's your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Oh, I love it.
1: So probably my favorite food is roti and chana masala roti and ginger ale. Ooh. Yeah, I like the restaurant butter chicken roti. Yeah, there's also a roti place in town that we order from. Yeah, I love roti.
0: It's my favorite. <laughs> yes, <laughs> awesome. Well, it's been it's great to hear everything you're thinking about and all of the amazing work you're doing and how it how the teaching and and making overlap and how you fit it all in. Is there anyone you would like to thank or give a shout out to? Sure. I mean, my husband is coming to mind as being like a big support
1: person in all of this. And he just is awesome with he does not believe in gender rolled jobs. And so I texted my sisters the other day and said, I came home. And my husband had taken all of our daughter's clothes that were too small and put them into storage and got her dresser all up and organized so that everything in it is what she currently wears. It's such a small act and like he doesn't even really understand. But I was like, you support me as an artist and mother so much by doing these things because that is not on my to-do list anymore. That's not on my workload now. Yeah. And it just frees me up mentally to do so much else. So he gets the biggest shout out. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, my whole family, my whole family is so supportive. My parents are so supportive and, and my daughter, because she's the one that has pushed me beyond thinking of just this idealized mother and pushed into the real life the real life stuff of your mother. So yeah, she's like truly a muse.
0: So oh, yeah, those are so beautiful. Oh, thank you. And where can our listeners connect with you online? So definitely Instagram is
1: where I post my art and also just like silly things on Instagram stories. Um, <laughs> so that's just at Kate Hessen. And then I have a website, but it's just a portfolio. Not much connection left to be done there. And then on Twitter, I'm actually at Hessen and then Kate, so H E S S -S I N and then Kate. And my Twitter is very much teaching oriented. So I actually have like a lot of parents follow me on my Twitter, and I post everything that I do in class. So like all the projects, and I always post what the artist of the month is, and just videos and it's all classroom, which I post a little bit on my Instagram, but my my Twitter is very much what I'm doing day to day in the classroom. Yeah, I kind of connect with art teachers there mostly. Ah, cool. There's a few art teachers that I have on Instagram, but Yeah. I find that there's a lot of art teachers that are willing to share and want to chat and yeah, just share what they do on Twitter. So awesome. Yeah. That's that's a big one for me. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure just talking to you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for asking me to be on your podcast, Rebecca. It's been a pleasure. Ah,
0: I loved talking with Kate about motherhood and all the challenges within We strayed quite a bit from teaching and art making, but it's all connected, and it was so interesting hearing about how she's been creating work around these topics for basically her entire artistic career, way before she was ever a mother. I also really like the idea Kate had of artistic bias as something to be aware of as an art teacher, especially a teacher who is also deeply engaged in your own art making. I do think a lot about kid aesthetic versus adult aesthetic, but it's nice to add another layer to that of my own personal aesthetic and preferences and how those impact my teaching. Go check out Kate's work and follow her. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you.